This is a podcast where I talk to people with disabilities to hear their stories. I wouldn't expect anyone to know what life is like for someone who can't walk, can't see, or can't hear. But we have a responsibility to learn and grow throughout our lives. And this podcast is meant to help to see what life is like for someone on the other side. Welcome to Ability. On this episode, I have an actor-director best known for his role in Mad Max Fury Road. On this episode with Quentin Kinahan. Well, it's so great to finally get to talk to you. you know, I am recording, by the way, now. But uh, Cool. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Very well, thank you, Jacob. How's Australia? Rainy. It's very rainy at the moment. Middle of winter. It's all right with your head upside down? You're not having no chance? <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm you get good. really tired of that. <laughs> no, I'm good. So tell me about yourself. Let's start there. Uh, my name is Quentin Kennehan. Um, I live in Adelaide, Australia. I have type 3 osteogenesis imperfecta, the same as you. I work as a, I guess, content creator, I guess you'd call me. I'm a filmmaker slash television producer slash podcast maker slash radio host slash motivational speaker. I'm, I'm like... I don't really fit into one category. I also do some acting. Um, I'm a jack of all trades, really. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, you do a lot of... You wear many hats, I would say. I wear many hats, yeah. Basically, I, I, I realized that as a person with a disability, I didn't want anyone else controlling my image as I grew up. So what I decided to do was take control of that aspect and create my own content around me so that I could be expressing the image of disability that should be seen, not what others should define it as. When was the moment when you decided you want to do that? Was that just something you had always been thinking about? No, as a kid, I was made famous as a very young child and I had, you know, people molding my age and telling me what to do and telling me what to say and how to say it. it gets quite tiresome and boring after a while you're saying the same damn thing um and reflecting other people's viewpoint of who they think you are and um i really struggled with it but when i got to about 20 21 i decided i'd had enough of it and um thought about how i could change my my image and it was really about taking control of it and reinventing myself when did you first realize you were different the age of two or three i couldn't run around like my brother could so that was always my gauge of yeah i'm different to everyone else what was your relationship like with your parents as you were growing up uh pretty good yeah, pretty good. It got sort of tense during the teenage years, as they usually do. Um, but I had a good upbringing. My parents made the smart decision not to let me, not to wrap me up in cotton wool. You know, they didn't say, oh, he's, because he's got his disability, he can't do this or he can't do that. They were of the mindset of 
he can go and do anything he wants and if he falls and cracks his head open, then that's what happens. We're not going to stop him from doing anything he wants to do. Um, I felt that was a really good decision on their part. They were safe, but, you know, didn't let me do stupid things. But at the same time, they didn't hold me back from trying to do the things I want and play in the way that other kids played. And um, it's something that I thank them to this day for. Quentin will heal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, basically. That's the way my parents were for me. Like, I'll Jacob will heal. Like, he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I've, I've, I've had, you know, 560-odd fractures in my life, but, um, you know, most of those are, most, well, some of them, are, you know, are well-worn ones. You know, I did it because I was trying to do something new or, you know, and others are just stupid broken in ribs that happen when you're sneezing. Um, of course, you know what that's like. One time I, like, cracked my shoulder blade with a sneeze, and that was the most painful thing, like, ever. <laughs> that was that was the really? worst. Yeah, I sneezed really good and just was like, achoo, ah! It was really good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh. it's not the best. But I've found since taking um, biphosphonates or prolia, my body is a lot stronger than it was. I don't know if you take any drugs like that, but um, I take one every six months. It's just an in- injection in the arm, and it's healed my bones quite a lot. Yeah, uh, I get a yearly uh, intravenous infusion. So I go and sit in a chair, and they give me an IV of the stuff every year. Yeah, yeah, it's really good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it it, it really changed my life. Yeah, same same here. I, you know, I was breaking bones, you know, every you know month or two, just stupid broken ribs or fingers or toes or whatever, you know, just little small bones, and then now I'm a lot stronger than I was. To make it sound impressive, I always tell people they give it to astronauts. They give the best phosphonates to astronauts. Exactly, they do. You know, yeah. so <laughs> so we're uh, you know. They do that to stop the bone degradation when they're in space. So I guess for the same thing, it's the same thing for us. Where are you from? Me, I'm from I'm a Adelaide born and bred, buddy. Um, and uh, um, I've had the, the, the luck to live in other places around the, around the country. I've lived in – I stayed in um, – San Francisco in Palo Alto at the Ronald McDonald House in Stanford, San Francisco, uh, or Stanford, California, for surgery for a year when I was a child. So I definitely have a little bit of the U.S. inside me. That's cool that you've been able to keep track of how many broken bones you've had, 560. Well, I nobody ever kept track of mine. I gave up at 560. I'm sure <laughs> I gave up at that. Yeah, I have no idea for me. I'd say it's probably around 200 or so. Yeah, pretty terrible. What was it like for you going to school? Primary school was great. So I went to a very multicultural school where there was many different cultures. It was an inclusive school, so 
there were both uh, children with disabilities and uh, able-bodied children as well. It was sort of like a mixture. We weren't in special classes. We were all mixed in with each other, and it was great. Whereas when I went to high school, my parents decided that they wanted me to go to some hoity-toity college, which um, was very different for me. I didn't enjoy it. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends. I found it very difficult, and I left uh, uh, in senior year. So I never actually graduated. don't have my G, what we, you would call your GED. But I still went to college as a mature age entry. Yeah, so here in America, I don't think they'd let you do that. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, you can do a test to sort of get your high school equivalency. Oh, yeah, yeah, like you can do that, then yeah, never mind. Yeah, so I did that, and then I got into college. That's awesome. What did you study in college? Uh, liberal arts. I studied filmmaking and drama because that's what I wanted to get into. I wanted to be a film director, but I got offered a job halfway through the course at one of the big TV stations uh, in Australia. So I thought, why study at it where I, when I can get a job and get paid for it? What What about uh, drama and liberal arts drew you to it? I've always been a bit of a storyteller. I love stuff telling stories. I love that when I was a kid, the only thing I could do in a hospital was um, watch movies. And movies would take me away to any place I wanted to go. So I thought, what if I could do that for someone else? What if I could make a movie and take them out of all the, the bad things in the world, you know, and take them to another place and teach them something or entertain them or make them think or inspire them or whatever seemed pretty noble at the point at the at the time <laughs> what kind of movies were you most interested in i just wanted to tell entertaining stories to make people laugh you know i was asked to make a documentary about myself and then i did and then i had the tv series called quentin crashes where a person with a disability tries to get un- t- tries to get invited to the world's most elite parties. So you know, I tried to go to the Academy Awards and uninvited, and the Big Brother house uninvited, and your version of American Idol and the World Music Awards. So we made this whole series on how far I would get uninvited. Sounds like some kind of shenanigans that I would get into. <laughs> yeah, and then anyway. after that I made TV commercials for people for about a year, um, and I didn't really like that. It was just mainly bread and butter money, you know, you just make TV commercials. But there's only so many jewellery commercials and pop-up sale commercials you can write and direct without it destroying your soul for a little while. So I went off and I made a documentary about a documentary series about uh, artists with a disability and how they reflect their their art through their disability. And we made this thing for children. So we made this whole uh, education compendium with it and put it out to schools and it was really successful. After that, I, I went and mentored disabled artists for a couple of years and 
went and worked in film administration for a couple of years and then decided to blow it all and become a YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really lucrative. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. You know, I say that with sarcasm. Like, I used to have a YouTube channel and it's not. <laughs> oh, I still do it for fun. I love doing it. Yeah. But I only do it for fun now. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, like I said, like I did a YouTube channel where I made dumb videos about technology, basically was the idea, because I love this stuff, and yeah, like it's a, it's a really difficult science. Not everybody's built to meet Casey Neistat. <laughs> I've met Casey, he's a friend of mine. Yeah, I know, I saw the video where you were talking to him. Yeah, and, you know, that was me just going on a hunch a couple of years ago and just saying, hey, I'm guy from Mad Max, I'd love to talk to you, you know, would you like to, would you let me interview you on my YouTube channel and funnily enough he replied and we got the door talking and we became, we became friends and we've been mates ever since. The case is really cool, I like him a lot. Yeah, he's great. Like you mentioned Mad Max there, what was that like? That was the most hardest, most fun job I've ever had in my entire life. You know, as as an actor and a filmmaker, you always want to be able to get that big break and get that big, um, you know, that big one off your chest. And I'd acted in about three or four other movies that were smaller budgets, and I'd auditioned for Mad Max, and I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd get it. But I did, and it was the hardest job. Like, you work really hard. Like, we worked really hard for two and a half weeks to get, you know, um, a a minute and a half's worth of footage. But it was so much fun, man. You know, you're dealing with big budgets, big cameras, big cast, big crew, and they're all there to help you get, your lines and get what you need to do out. And the director, George Miller, was such a visionary. You know, there'd be a 100 people in the room and he'd just take time out to talk to you on how to say your lines and how to understand what you're saying and give you the right motivation to give a great performance. And it was so weird because my character was initially going to get killed off. And so we we filmed this scene where this woman slits my throat and I die and I wasn't meant to come back. But the director, George Miller, said, you know what, this is, he's doing too good a job. We can't kill him. I want him back for the sequel. So they rewrote an entire ending with me um, and told me to come back the next day and shoot a different ending and that's what we did. And so... If there's ever a sequel, I'm signed up for it. That's a really amazing movie. You know, like I'm so happy that you got to be in it, and that's such an a you know like an amazing thing. That the, the kind of general narrative was that George Miller was in the sunset of his career, and for him to come out with this really amazing film, and for you being in it, it's really great. Well, you know, there, I wasn't the only person with a disability in the film. I guess I was the one that had the most lines and and the most exposure. But, um, 
you know, there were other people that were there in the extras that, you know, uh, had arthritis or um, they had facial deformities or things like that. And he really took on all different types of characters to make the wasteland that he wanted fit within the narrative. Um, and which is why he spent so much time, you know, not getting actors and getting them made up in prosthetics, but finding people with disabilities to fit what he wanted. Um, and it was just so good because it, it gave a lot of camaraderie around the set. What was the casting process like? The casting process was go in there, do a piece from When Harry Met Sally. Really? <laughs> yeah, they gave me a piece from When Harry Met Sally. So I had to be Harry and the girl behind the camera was Sally and I did this whole big piece about how I loved Sally. Um, I don't remember it now, but I remember I had a really bad American accent going. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to do this Californian accent and it just did not come off very well. And so I waited 18 months. 18 months I waited and then I finally get this phone call from George Miller saying, hey, what are you, what are you doing next week? And I just said, I don't know. He said, well, I think you're going to come and act in Mad Max with me. And it was amazing because we did, I think we did three days of makeup uh, uh, rehearsals. We did wardrobe rehearsals. We did hair. And so every time you do your makeup, um, he'd have to go, he'd have to check it so we'd either take photos or I'd be ushered to the set so he can see the makeup and then he'd want changes. We'd go back and forth. So eventually I had a full, I guess, body, my whole, I was sort of half naked, but I was covered in this sort of rice paper um, makeup to make me look like an albino that doesn't get sun. So, and they made me keep the beard and they uh, shaved my head. You know, I'm almost bald now, but they shaved my head clean off. And, yeah, I went through about three hours of makeup each day just to make me look like an albino. Yeah, that's really awesome. When Harry met Sally, that's that's something. I, I wouldn't have guessed that's what George Miller would have picked. <laughs> I, I guess maybe somebody in the casting did, but. I think somebody in the castings did it. I guess they wanted to see if they, if I had a, you know, a different range. So, because I didn't know what the script was, the casting agents didn't know what the script was. So we were all just guessing. So, I guess they wanted something to see if I had an emotional range, which apparently I did. Who knew? As long as you don't get addicted to water, you'll be fine. Exactly. As long as you don't get addicted to H2O. That's one of my favorite things to come out of that movie. I'll go, like, fill a water bottle. Don't get addicted to water. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that part. It just it stuck with me. Um, well, water becomes the greatest commodity, you know? That, that and gasoline. Yeah, the gasoline. When did you decide that you wanted to be an actor? Like, I know we talked about drama school, but when did you... Realized that, you know, like, I want to be in front. That was really early on, man. That was really early on. Like, back in high school, I'd tried to do drama, and I had this drama teacher that told me that I would never do anything 
in the film and television world that I was untalented and and that I was awful at what I did and I was so de- determined to prove this woman wrong. Um, but it just stuck in my mind and it was a, a bit of happy revenge when I was in Mad Max so I could just see her watching it and going, you know, I told that that kid he'd never be anything and now look at him. You know, I was a bit of an angry actor because I wanted to – I'm always out there to try and prove other people wrong. You know, you probably know what I mean. People say you can't do something and immediately that puts a bug in your bonnet, you know, and you've just got to be able to prove them wrong. And this woman telling me that I was a bad actor or that I'd never make it in this world, just it, it lit a fuel under me, you know, and made me realise that, you know, I can – if I stick my mind at something, if you if you – if you challenge yourself, you can do anything this world you set your mind to. Did you send her a DVD copy of the movie? <laughs> no, I ran into yeah. her at the, at the chemist once. And I said, hey, I liked it one day you said you told me I'd never make it. And you're doing Pizza Hut commercials and I'm acting in big movies. Go figure. So she got her comeuppance. What do you think the next step for your career will be? At the moment, I've got a radio show on a national radio station here that'll be going to air at the end of the year. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, there's a lot of top secret projects I've got going. Um, one of them is political. Um, you know, I've I, I really anything I everything that I've done or ever wanted to do in my career, I've done. So now I feel as though I owe it to other people to take the elevator back down and teach people what I've learned. So I'm very much trying to, whatever I do, inspire others or, I guess, make this world a better place. So whether that be through radio or entertaining people on YouTube or my new podcast, which you can also subscribe to, called The Qcast, every second Friday. Sorry, shameless plug. Yeah, it's just I, I really want to just inspire people to be better than they can be. And they don't have to have a disability. It can just be anyone. But I always say if I can do it, if I can get off my ass every day with all the crap that I've got going on in my life with, you know, breathing through oxygen and being in a wheelchair and breaking bones, if I can go out and do it with what I've got up against, then what's holding you back? You know, a disability does. I mean, you'll 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 um, agree with this. The the disability doesn't define us. What we do does. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. very much that Batman sort of phrase yeah. from Batman Begins. You know, yeah. um, the disability will never define me. It's part. It is part of who I am. It is who I am but doesn't define what I can do. What is your day-to-day life like? At the moment, I'm really based on what my health is like, so I really have to take it day-to-day at this point. So if I'm not feeling well one day, then that's my day. You know, I allow myself not to feel well. I don't try and push myself because if I push myself too far, then I'm just going to get sicker. If I'm feeling well enough, then I will go to 
what I need to do to try and get my job done, whether that be trying to get a radio guest or record a radio show, record a podcast, record a YouTube show or, you know, try and get my other projects off the ground. I'm always trying to push forward, but what I can't do is jeopardise my health anymore because my lungs are really starting to pack it in and I've really got to take notice of that and make sure that, you know, I'm still breathing for the long haul, not just a short time. Um, And unfortunately, you know, osteogenesis imperfecta can bring extremely bad lung issues and then unfortunately I've been one of those to, to get that. So, you know, it's just about taking time to learn how your body reacts and 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 I guess to adjust accordingly. Well, that was good. That's great. Yeah, I have some friends with OI who have uh, unfortunately more lung issues than I do, and it's really not a good time. I wouldn't recommend it. No, it's not. But you know what? It doesn't stop me. It just it just takes a bit longer, that's all. <laughs> yeah, I always say that I can do anything that anybody else can. It just takes me a little more effort or a little more time. But I'll figure it out. And do you live with friends? Do you live by yourself? How do you... I live by myself. Oh, good. Me too. I really try to value my independence the best I can. Yeah, me too. Do you have support workers that come in and help you? Uh, no, I surprisingly get around pretty well on my own. I don't really need too much help. You know, there there are a few, like, Herculean tasks I need help with, or at least Herculean to me. So, like, changing the sheets on the bed, that's kind of hard. But, yeah, um, yeah uh, I don't know, like, sweeping the floor, that can be kind of difficult. But, uh, yeah, but I can typically take care of myself fairly oh, well, the best I can. That's great, man. Yeah. I'm really happy for you. Yeah. I try not to take it for granted. I know that there are other people that have OI type 3 just like I do who have a much rougher go of it. So I try not to not to squander well, the, it. These infusions must be working very well for you, mate, because you're looking great. Yeah, I started on the infusions. Like, they gave me, like, a trial run when I was, like, seven. So I've been doing it for a very long time. You still had all your growth plates, which would have been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that back when I was seven, I would do it three-day infusions. So I would go in, and I would have to stay in a hotel, and I would go in for, oh. like, eight hours and for three days. So it was it was really something back then. But... <laughs> Did you have side effects? The, I've been fairly lucky with side effects. I don't have a much anymore. The first time I did it, I had some hell of some side effects. I, I had fever and like every yeah, yeah, bone yeah, yeah, just yeah. hurt ever. You know, you know, just all of them hurt all at once. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I've been pretty good the last few years. I wanted to ask you, because I know that you got into a situation where I had read that you, would, um, that you were advocating for uh, NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Yeah. And I just wanted to know, they had passed it in 2016. I just want to know how you thought that was going. Look, I haven't been placed on it yet because they're running late. They're running very behind with the 
intake of the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Here in Australia, it was meant to be something larger than it is now, but due to budget restrictions, they've made the standing government, the Liberal government, has made budget cuts. So a lot of the programs, you know, especially with autism and uh, mental disabilities, have been cut and people are left to the wayside. There are a lot of providers out now that are trying to get in it for the quick cash. So there really needs to be, I guess, greater guidelines and greater protection for people with a disability at the moment as to how they're getting their care and how that care is implemented. I know that uh, some people rave about the scheme and other times people have had a horror time with it. So I'm not... I'm not afraid of it, but at the same time, I'm happy with the status quo of how my care is running at the moment. Um, I get a lot of care workers at the moment because, you know, being on oxygen requires a lot more care. Um, And I've been able to do that because I've had great advocates um, in my doctors and in the care workers that I've had, and they've just been really great at helping me. navigate that field and I just worry about what's going to happen when the NDIS uh, rolls over to me, whether that care will stay and be implemented and what they're going to offer further because there are a lot of uh, things apparently you've got to get used to and um, I guess it's just about adapting to it. Uh, Who do you look up to or who inspires you? Casey Neistat, Russell Crowe. And a singer called Jewel, um, as well as a couple of private people like my brother, my mum, uh, a couple of people that I used to work with. They really were the ones that, you know, th- these people were really ones that championed me and gave me the motivation to keep going. As you know, having a disability, the black dog of depression can take over and it has me in parts and you know I've had the odd suicidal thought and I see a a psychologist for a lot of the things that happen I mean you know what it's like you break so many bones it doesn't just have a physical toll you know there's the mental toll of that as well and I guess being able to talk through with someone about what that's like and and express how you feel in a safe environment means that I can do that and still not have it affect what's going on in my real world. That's great that you're able to see a psychologist. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's great that um, my health insurance is great for that. I won't tell Hugh Jackman he wasn't on your list. I'm just kidding. No, uh, Logan never made it. <laughs> He got usurped by the gladiator. Well, yeah, you know, they both have made some really great movies. Yeah, you're making me think. Anyway, what brings you joy? Um, life. Life brings me joy, you know. I, I don't, I used to take life for granted and I don't anymore. I realized that my friends and my family they give me the greatest joy in the whole world. You know, I didn't think I would ever end up with 
a partner or a girlfriend. I, I didn't really think that was part of my world and I still don't. I think I'm too set in my ways now, but, you know, my family give me joy. My friends bring me lots of joy. What I do brings me joy, you know. You can get so stuck in a job that you hate or a role that you despise, and I didn't want to live my life through that. So I just decided a couple of years ago that I would only do what things inspired me or brought me joy. And, and, you know, even like today, I get the opportunity to spread positivity to your audience, you know, and that brings me joy. It brings me joy to be able to talk to another like-minded person with the same disability as me and we can see each other and just have that understanding that we've both gone through, you know, sorry to swear, we've both gone through the same shit. You know what I mean? And I think allowing the audience to see that and hear that is really great. What do you consider your biggest accomplishment? Being in Mad Max. It's probably a good one, yeah. (laughs) It was the biggest it was the biggest dream I'd ever had in my life. And it's something that came true. And I never thought it would and it did and it lived up to the moment. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you went in there and it didn't live up to all the hype that you thought it would. It absolutely did. It was the most amazing time I've ever had on a film set. And I don't know that I'd want to – I mean, I'd love to do another one, but I'd prob- it would probably be a very different experience. And so that's why I'm looking forward to doing a sequel if there is one. What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? Breathing. My lungs are my greatest uh, obstacle at this moment, my greatest fear. I get a lot of anxiety when I can't breathe, and that just perpetuates my breathing even worse. So breathing for me is the hardest thing at the moment. You know, whether I'm on my CPAP machine or I'm breathing through the oxygen, I'm really trying to make sure I'm doing my breathing exercises that there's air getting into my lungs that I'm not pushing myself too hard. It's a really a fine balance at the moment, and it's a really big struggle, but, you know, hopefully I'll get through it. I believe you'll get through it. I have sleep apnea, too. I have a CPAP machine, so, like, I feel you with that one. Yeah, and it's amazing how much... My life changed after starting CPAP. You know, I'd get really tired in the afternoons and um, it'd be terrible. But since I started using the CPAP, you know, I sleep like a baby every night. Uh, What's your hope for the future? To live a long and happy life. You know, to be able to get the projects that I want to do off the ground to... um, to really just keep doing what I'm doing and doing it successfully and not ever doing things that are of lower quality. You know, I've really got to have that quality up there. And as soon as I can't do that is the moment I've got to start thinking of something else to do. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? 
I told you so. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a very religious person. I always think, you know, if God exists, then why did he make me like this? Why did he make us like this? So I always still suffer with a bit of anger over it. That's my last question for you. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to pitch? No, look, just thank you for having the opportunity to come on and talk with you, Jacob. You seem like a really lovely man. Um, it's really great that you're doing this podcast to spread positivity to people um, and talking about the abilities that we have rather than the disabilities that people see. Uh, I think that's really great that you're giving that message to people and, you know, more power to you, buddy. Is there anything you want to plug? Your uh, your YouTube channel, radio show, anything you want to? You can follow me at Twitter on Q Canahan, Q-K-E-N-I-H-A-N, or YouTube, just type the same thing, Q-K-E-N-I-H-A-N. That'll basically get you anything. Is If you want to find me, is just type Q-K-E-N. IHN on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm everywhere. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Quentin. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jacob. You take care of yourself. Special thanks to Quentin for being on this episode, and thank you for listening. You can find all of Quentin's links, including his Instagram, his podcast, the QCast, and more at abilitypodcast.com forward slash QKinahan. Q-K-E-N-I-H-A-N. You can follow the show on Twitter at Ability Podcast, and you can follow Jacob on Twitter at the Jacob Holt. If you have a quick moment, please rate and review the show on iTunes. It really helps out the show. Until next time, keep on rolling. <laughs> <laughs>